What a start for Brad Hughes. 180 metres to go. Looking good. Oh, what a shot. What a shot from Brad Hughes. Oh, my goodness. What a finish for Bradley Hughes. Easy number five, joining the lead. An amazing victory. For the second time, Brad Hughes wins the Australian Masters. This time by five strokes. Welcome again to Bradley Hughes Golf Podcasts. This episode has been a long time in the making, and finally we were able to sit down and chat. Many golfers are so intense on mastering their golf swings that they forget the other area of golf, the mental side. Ward Jarvis and I have been intertwined as part of Brandon Todd's remarkable return to the elite level of golf, and we thought it only fair to put our heads together for this episode. This is one of my favorite podcasts to date, and we'll arm all you listeners with better tools to help you get the most out of your game. I won't give much else away, so just sit back, listen, and learn as we go deep into the mental aspect of playing great golf. Welcome to this episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. This week, we've got a special guest, Ward Jarvis. So Ward and my paths crossed just over five years ago uh, when... We both started working with Brendan Todd about the same time, myself on his full swing and Ward on the the mental scars that he was going through. So Brendan was a self-admitted yipper, <laughs> which not many people like to admit, do they? <laughs> but uh, he was probably one of the first players that actually came out and said it and that he had it, and it was, a, it was an issue. So that's where we stepped in. I did my swing work, and then how did – Brandon, or he wrote me an email, and I have to admit I didn't know who Brandon Todd was because I hadn't followed the golf and obviously hadn't performed well the three seasons or so before that, but I looked him up, saw that he'd won, and we got to work. So how did you and Brandon get together at about the same time? I think it was about August 2018, correct? Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget uh, our first conversation was August, I think, 18th, uh, 2018, but... Uh, yeah, it's been uh, quite the journey, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's great to be with you, Brad. Um, you, you know, I, I, I did know Brendan. Um, I, you know, our paths uh, had crossed uh, r- r- roughly 10 years earlier when I uh, d- did a little stint of caddying, uh, mainly on the Nationwide Tour for uh, – about a couple of years, uh, but, but before wife and kids came along, um, I'd actually just met my wife to be and had fallen in love and come to the realization that, uh, you know, being a full-time caddy on the nationwide tour probably wasn't going to cut the mustard. <laughs> and, uh, I'd actually, uh, made a conscious decision that I I was going to be done with caddying and uh, um, apply my college (laughs) degree in, uh, in business management and sales. And, and, um, and, uh, but yeah, I had one event left and uh, a caddy buddy of mine had called me up and he said, Brendan Todd, uh, needs a, a looper in Louisiana. Um, can, 
can, are you available? I said, uh, yeah, I've actually, I'd actually planned for that to be my last event and I didn't have a bag. So I said, great. You know, I, I did having followed the game over here in the States, um, and been a student of the game. Um, um, I, I did know the name. Um, I, I, I did know he, he, he had, uh, been a part of a national championship team at, at, at Georgia and got on tour uh, fairly quickly and, you know, w w was an established player. You know, we worked one event together and, um, you know, that th that's when Brendan w was in his first uh, bout of uh, the self-described full swing yips. And, uh, you know, you know, 95% of his shots were really good. The other 5% were off the property, um, a hard place to play from. Right. And so we actually, we just worked one event. I, I went on to do my thing, um, moved back home. Kids came along. I actually ended up becoming a full-time firefighter here in Paducah, Kentucky. And, um, you know, but I, ke I kept up with, with Brennan's career. We didn't talk at all. But, um, you know, he pieced his career back together very nicely to the point where, um, you know, he, he won in 2014. Um, I sent him a congratula congratulations text. Uh, that That's basically the extent of it. But then I kind of kept up with pro golf and and I, I noticed he 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 um, entered into another decline and just always kind of had a feeling of, um, you, you know, he was back to where he was, you know, when I spent that one week with him. And um, during this time, you know, my, my story is I grew up um, not only as a competitive golfer, but I grew up with with a stuttering issue my whole life from from the time I started talking. And so, um, you know, I I actually, um, you know, had almost near perfect memories from the time I started playing golf at 10 to around the age of 16 and uh, was on a really good playing trajectory. Um, and I actually had, had won my biggest tournament to date, um, uh, at 16 and, uh, I'll never forget it. Two weeks later in a high school, um, match nine holer, um, I got over a short putt and had an experience that I'd never had before, just in terms of an extreme, uh, negative, what if thought, um, you know, what if I actually missed this tap in and Brad, I actually missed it. And, that led me um, into about with the putting yips um, there at 16 and uh, with, with really nowhere to turn. Um, I pieced my game back together the best I could. I was never the same player, but, but went on to play a year um, at Sanford university in Birmingham, but was pretty much toast competitively. Um, but um, fast forwarding, you know, into my time as a firefighter, my, my, my stuttering had kind of uh, reared its head in some some uh, speaking situations that went along with my job. Um, it was very ironic because it wasn't the emergency situations. It wasn't the high intensity situations, but it was more just the the normal kind of radio traffic that, that we have to do as as uh, firefighters. Um, I would experience a lot of uh, speech blocks um, where I would um, intend to initiate speech and nothing would come out it was a complete um stoppage of of uh movement and so having had kind of an academic background i kind of came to the realization that i never really studied stuttering 
You know, I've been a stutter, but I, I, I never really look, looked into what's going on, you know, beneath the hood, you know, in the brain in terms of like what's what's causing this, what's what's uh, leading to this experience. And I did a deep dive into stuttering. And that's actually when I more or less became a golf coach, because I realized I, I, the whole time I was staying stuttering, I'm like seeing these connections with time related pressure. And and my experience with the yips and my experience with stuttering had felt so similar. And I'm like, I think I can, um, you know, I'm developing these ideas. And I think that, that they would really relate to what, what, what golfers go through in terms of uh, pressure. And, and uh, I had Brendan's number and I never expected him to take my call there in 2018 because we'd literally just spent one week together. And uh, I said, but, Heck, I'm going to just reach out and see what happens. And I reached out, and that was in 2018. And uh, like I tell everyone, we, we've spoken every single week since then. And, uh, you know, you, you, you and I have been, you know, on this this unbelievable uh, journey, you know, um, with Brendan. And uh, it's, it's just been something, you know, that probably neither of us would have expected. But, but uh you know, has happened nonetheless. Well, you mentioned something there, like that you did it, uh, your first recognize yip was parting. And that tends to be the thing, doesn't it? Most people associate yips with the the short game. I guess it's a smaller action. Uh, it's a more result orientated, like it's a finish of the whole type of situation where you know that this is one little shot. If you don't make, it's going to cost you another shot. So obviously it's a very mental thing. Um, but in your mind, describe what the yips really are in, in your mind. And and maybe we'll also at the end of that question say, how does it get into the full swing? Because that's kind of more of a rarity than a, a general occurrence. Yeah, you know, my biggest takeaway from the stuttering research was that speaking is movement and it's not just involuntary movement right it's a very voluntary thing and that's that's a lot what makes golf so unique like every shot is starting from scratch so no shot is really involuntary or just automatic um it's the golf swing is not a reflex the golf swing is not the, the center fielder on the run throwing the ball the the, the golf every golf shot is more, more more akin to the pitcher starting from scratch and having to initiate things from scratch. And so, you know, looking into how the brain coordinates voluntary movement was kind of the key because ultimately, you know, the, the, the yips as I've come to define it is really not so much the behavior itself, whether it's the twitch or the freezing or the stalling, but it's the the negative anticipation of more or less something crazy is probably going to happen when I go to initiate or complete a golf swing. And that, that, that negative anticipation is, you know, Brendan's talked about, you know, he would be in the grocery line, you know, thinking about, thinking about uh, golf scenarios and, and, and this big miss. Right. And, that so that negative anticipation is more or less um uh the the thing that has to be dealt with right and uh 
But when it comes to the coordination of voluntary movement, the, the brain's drawing on basically what I call two things, our, our memories, you know, both our emotional memories and procedural memories, you, you know, that, that, that we, we amass over our golf careers. Um, but it's also drawing off those real-time um, cues or inputs, you know, in, in our shot process. You know, what are our swing cues, you know? And, uh, you know, how, how, how are we doing those under pressure? And um, so that was r really kind of uh, the, the, the nuts and bolts of my system. We're going to take care of the memories, you know, the, the, and especially we're going to use some bad memories of the past to kind of influence how, how we practice going forward. And we're really going to focus on um, moving our attention well in, in, in our shot process. And, uh, you know, it, it just so happened, you know, I think in, in, in Brendan's journey, you had given him some some just great swing cues and some really um, active things to do during the golf swing. Right. It wasn't just about hitting positions, but it was about creating feelings during the golf swing. And um, so more or less that that became the place where our attention was going to move, you know, when when our mind um, you know, experience that, the, that, that chaos or that fear of the big miss, you know, we, we were just going to um, really hone in on those cues and practice moving our attention well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, ultimately it's about movement and how the brain is coordinating that and taking care of those inputs. Uh, we, we caught up just a few weeks ago, about a month ago now, at the RSM Classic there at Sea Island. You got your Sea Island hat on and your Sea Island coffee mug. You're living the dream there. Um, but I was going to ask you because a few years ago, Brendan had won his tournaments with a sick putter and you and I put our hand up and we both got a sick putter, uh, you know, hanging on the coattails of his victories with that putter. So... I sent you a picture of mine, you sent me a picture of yours, and yours was left-handed. And I didn't think much of it. So, um, like I said, at RSM, you were talking about something in your swing to me, and you were swinging right-handed. And I went, wait, hang on. I thought you were left-handed. And you go, no, no, I just putt left-handed. So is that is that something, you know, and I akin this to, like, Lucas Glover had, who you've worked with in the past, who had a pretty strong yip pattern with his short putts especially, that he switched totally. Like, did you go left-handed to relearn and erase some of the memories? Like, he went to the long putter. Is that is that a a fair summation of sometimes that can be a key to change? Uh, absolutely. A lot of times the brain is just more or less <clears throat> crying out to, you know, g give me a different experience of what I'm going through, right? A, a different kind of healthy experience, as I call it. And, you know, I had actually, like I said, but from 16 to my college years, I'd pieced it back together where my stroke was stable enough to shoot some decent scores. But I, I was always, uh, you know, a, a little um, iffy at times in terms of just the smoothness of my stroke. And it, I actually went, went to left-handed about tw tw 25 years ago, so, so several years after, after um, my competitive days were over. And you just kind of as an experiment and, you know, I, I never really, uh, I, I always just made a smooth stroke, you know, uh, left-handed. And, you know, my thinking was, uh, you know, I can figure out, 
you know, the, 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 you know, seeing the line better, I can figure out my speed issues, but I can't really figure out, you know, making a smooth stroke. Right. And so it gave me that feeling. Um, and th 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 this is really important, you know, when, when players are going through the yips, you know, obviously sometimes a simple change in terms of like method or equipment can take it away because that's giving the brain a different experience. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, um, it, it doesn't work the same for everyone, but, you know, Lucas had actually said something very interesting and, you know, we were, um, you, you know, I, I worked a couple of years with Lucas. We had, you know, finished top 50 both years, got his first win in 11 years at the John Deere. Um, and we, we, we smoothed a lot out, right. Um, you, you know, but, you know, never could really fix it. Um, you know, ironically, um, in our discussions, I thought that, that, that he had used the belly putter, but, uh, we, we had some mishap in communication. He hadn't, but I was really pushing him towards going, uh, left-handed. Um, I'd actually br brought out a couple of years ago in Memphis. He just won this past year in Memphis, but the, the previous year, he basically needed a top six finish to go on to the playoffs and he got a fourth place finish, but he had really been uh, leaking oil coming into there. And I actually showed up in Memphis uh, with a, with a bullseye putter <laughs> just to see things. And, you know, and uh, Lucas has g gone on, um, you know, to, to, and he switched uh, to the long putter and, overnight you know his stroke was just uh perfect again and lucas has always had a a wonderful putting stroke you know it, it, um it, it, it was just his experience you know standing over the the tap in more or less and uh so th that that was enough change you, you know to kind of uh you know put him in a good direction but but he did say he did say that uh you know he had he had come to the decision that he was going to uh give the give the broom style a chance. And if it didn't feel good, he was going to commit to putting left-handed. Um, so, you know, maybe that freed him up, you know, but, you know, I'm certainly happy for him. He didn't want to putt left-handed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, a lot, a, a lot of players uh, resist it and it's, it's not my first go-to, but uh, you know, putting allows so much creativity. Right. And uh yeah, and that is, you know, one of the ways that definitely doesn't have the scar tissue, um, you know, of, of, of past failure. So you sort of touched on something here because, you know, we've all missed putts. We've all flubbed a chip. We've all hit a drive out of bounds or fatted an iron or something. So everyone does it. So why does our brain revert back to that and have that memory? Like I was always pretty good at turning my brain off and, and just realizing, Hey, that's one shot. I'm not going to do that again. But like you said, every now and then you'll step up to a shot and you go, Oh shit, this is just like that shot I hit on the 15th hole, you know, last year in new Orleans and I messed it up. It's the same shot. So you're feeding the wrong information in correct so run through if that how you would try and solve that for someone you've already touched on this a little bit and we'll touch on it yeah. a bit more you know a, a couple things brad you know 
you know, obviously we all do hit bad shots, right? Thinking about just speaking, you know, everyone, and, and th 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 this is, it's kind of a misnomer that everyone stutters or everyone yips because bad shots are not yips, right? And, and like, think about it with stuttering and disfluency. Obviously disfluency comes with stuttering, but it's not stuttering. Stuttering again is the negative anticipation leading to the disfluency. So what everyone doesn't experience is, uh, you know, waking up at four o'clock in the morning, having to make a presentation and worrying about whether or not when they go to say their name, nothing's going to come out. Right. Not everyone experiences that. We're really just people who stutter experience that. Um, you know, and that's why like ch choking is not the yips and yips is not choking. So there, there are some significant differences that, that I think um, are ultimately very important in, you know, determining whether a player is actually experiencing the yips or maybe something else. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, the, um, the, the, the first part of, 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 of what I uh, say about that. And, the, and then uh, remind me of the second part of your question. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, I was just going to say how um, I've forgotten it now too. But <laughs> <laughs> I, no, actually, I didn't. I don't think I got to the second part. So my second part was, well, I'll, I'll say it this way: Can a yip? And I, I, I hate using that word, but that's kind of how we're associating it with at the moment. Can it happen quickly, or does it take time? to seep in is it if it happens quickly is it a technique thing and if it happens over time it's more of a mental thing or yeah um th th that's one of the frustrating things about the experience you know it happens in different ways like for me it happened very quickly like i didn't i don't think i showed up at the golf course that that day you know when i was 16 years old with bad putting technique i just showed up with a developing brain that was thinking more out <clears throat> in the future and you know, was more susceptible to that performance anxiety moment and its impact on my putting stroke. Um, I, I do think, you, you know, obviously the, the, there's a lot of variability. Every golf swing has a lot of motor variability. And I think over time, you know, we're not going to, our golf swings aren't going to be perfect, right? And so, you know, bad outcomes can lead towards towards those that yipping type of experience, right? But 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 they don't they don't have to. Um, and so the the time frame in which a yip kind of develops is uh, you know varies from from person to person. But ultimately, when you have it, you know the experience is 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 pretty much the same in terms of you know more times than not there's there's negative anticipation that 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 goes with it that you really have to be strategic in how you either smooth it smooth it out or get out of it. And, and that really comes back to just, um, you know, taking care of our memories, practicing in different ways, um, experimenting, you know, finding those, those uh, uh, what I call kind of perception of control points, um, you know, in, in your golf swing, you know, because there's a lot of ideas about the golf swing out there, right? But but ultimately, you have to, you know, connect with the philosophy, connect with swing thoughts that you can experience doing under pressure. Um, right, and that's that's the more important thing because I know, you know, as a golf pro, I've hit millions of balls, maybe not millions, but a lot. 
in my life and on the driving range, you know, there's there's less of that fear. There's no cause and effect of the result. You're just practicing. You're either working on something. Obviously, you don't want the ball to go off the planet. You're trying to get a good viewpoint of how the shot turned out. But why is it that people, and you've probably already answered this, but it's amazing to me that some people can do all this on a practice green, on a chipping green, and on the driving range, and yet as soon as they get on the course, there's obviously a reaction to the result that brings the fear about. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, I call them potential meaningful outcomes, right? Uh, and the, the, the practice environment can be totally different from the competitive environment. You know, I call the competitive environment the box, right? Everything changes when you go into that this is when it counts for me type of environment. Right. And so, you know, that that's why, you know, when I work with players more times than not, I'm talking very negative negatively to them. And when, when, when I'm having them, you know, rep out some competitive games, because I want to, you know, um, really put them in a, in an environment where they're having to execute their process of, of managing their attention well and so um yeah that, that that's why you know i have a phrase never waste a bad memory and obviously as golfers you know we amass so many bad memories because the game is just so hard right and you know you know i like to say you know because the mind is drawing on past memories in order to coordinate future movements um you know we we, we need to you know to use kind of problem-solving starting points, you know, as I call them. And, and bad bad memories are a great place to to, to start. You know, if, if uh, you know, Brendan's coming down the stretch and, you know, has a bad moment, yeah, you know, we, we're not going to talk about it five minutes after the round, but maybe a day later, you know, um, we're going to be talking about it and, you know, okay, have you hit that shot again in your imagination and on the range? And, you know, have you put yourself back there? Right. Um, because ultimately the next time you're on that tee box, I think this goes back to the second part of your question. You know, uh, our brain is coordinating by, by patterns and all, all this is happening like subconsciously. You know, I get the analogy of like, we, when we go to drive a car, like our brain is, drawing on memories of that past experience so like and it and, and that's why we're, we're able to when a car pulls out in front of us and that information comes in th through our senses our eyesight we slam on the brakes before we're even conscious of slamming on the brakes right and likewise when we stand on that tee shot in similar circumstances where you know the the mental information is is kind of the same the the pressure that those you know Mister Don't is louder in those moments right um, you know that, that's basically uh, those thoughts and feelings are very involuntary that they're they're going to happen more times than not and I tell people you know I want you to put your energy and in, not into blocking them out or keeping them from happening but I want you you to put your energy into knowing how you're going to get punch in when mr don't comes through that door yeah and i mean golf is you know it's a tough sport because there is so much downtime there's downtime between rounds there's downtime from going to the first tee from the range obviously downtime between every shot 
there's a lot of time to think and most humans find it hard to think the positive. We always draw on the the bad stuff, you know, a lot of the time. So I used to do little tricks. I'll ask you if you had any, but I don't know if you've heard these, but you'll, you'll probably get a chuckle out of them. Is So once I hit my tee shot or an approach shot, I would that day, or I generally use the same ones every time, I would have like three favourite numbers from my childhood. One was my football number. Uh, one was like my girlfriend's house number and one was something else. And and I would look at the ground and I would count my steps until I stood on a leaf or I stood on a divot on that 17th number, on that ninth number or something like that. And it, next minute you know I'm sort of at my ball and I haven't overthought anything. And so that was kind of what I used on long shots. And then when I was on the green, you know, there's a lot of standing around on the green. There's people aim pointing and plumb bobbing and caddies raking bunkers and all types of stuff. It gets really slow on the green. So I would stand on the green, and this this will sound weird, and think that my nose was a pencil or a paintbrush, and I would look at the trees and I would, like, move my nose around like I was painting the outline of the trees so I didn't stand there waiting for three minutes thinking of the putt. I wanted it to be more reactive when it was my time. Your thoughts on those? I thought they were pretty good. They helped, but and anything that no, you No, I love them. You know, more or less the, those were your cues in, you know, outside of your routine moments, right? You're waiting, your downtime. Right. More or less be present. You know, you're just, the, the, there's no need to really be present with a shot when, when, you don't really have any place to go. It's, it's not your turn to start your process, right? Correct. And, uh, you know, I have a phrase, you know, great golfers uh, have to wait well to play well. And what goes into waiting well? Well, we can wait in doubt or um, confusion, or we can wait in clarity and self-trust, right? And the, the best golfers, obviously, you know, at, 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 at your level and Brendan's level, you know, ha- have a lot of self-trust. And that's more or less, um, you know, the ability to, you know, manage differing degrees of, of confidence, as I call it. Confidence is a little different. Confidence is more context dependent. It's like more knowledge based that we know our skills are matched our challenges. But, you know, the thing in golf is that, you know, the, it's not a one position sport, right? That the challenges are so diverse that confidence can be a little tricky because we may have a lot of confidence off the tee and, not much confidence around the greens, right? Or there's just, or, you know, we may be having to figure out, okay, how do I wait well, right? How do I not drive myself crazy the the night before in the hotel room, you know, or the week before, or the, you know, or, you know, in those in-between moments, you know, on the golf course. I tell my players, you know, when you're not really in your shot process, you're in the same position mentally as you are the night before in the hotel. And, you know, I, I talk about the, the using the skill of mindfulness in that situation. Mindfulness is more or less just simply non-judgmental awareness. You know, it's, it's the awareness that, you know, in those moments, it really doesn't matter the content of our thinking, whether it's positive or negative. Um, you know, we can be having positive thoughts in that moment. And when we get over the shot, it's not necessarily indicative of what's going to happen, right? And likewise, we can be having negative thoughts about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in five five minutes. 
And that's not necessarily indicative of, of what our experience is going to be. So that's a great time just to be, just to be practice that mindfulness, um, you know, and that, and, and that goes into managing our energy, right. Which we need to deal with stress, the, the, the uh, stress of playing golf, but, you know, BT's talked about it, you know, to be great at golf, you got to tell yourself some wild stories sometime and have some wild cues, you know, to, to, to manage the, the experience. Right. Because like I say, you know, the, the, the you don't go in and out of the box your competitive environment. You, you, you don't have to try to go, go into your competitive environment. You're just put in there. And from your first shot of the day to the last shot of the day, that's with all the waiting, with all the processes you go through, that's all, part of the box that's all of your competitive experiences so you know waiting well to play well you know i i just i was talking with you know the last round of q school got postponed today and can you imagine having having to having 24 hours of downtime leading into the biggest round of your life you know with everything everything on the line but but as you'll see you know those guys aren't to that level if they're not pretty good at waiting well. If you're a student of the game and looking to get better, then look at my eBooks. They're available at bradleyhughesgolf.com. Three eBooks are already published. The Great Ball Strikers, which is the one Brendan Todd first read before he contacted me to help improve his game. And then the Drill Book, The 430 Path to Great Golf, where I show all the drills in their entirety and how you can follow along and learn proper swing motion itself. The third book, Ben Hogan, The Secrets to His Success. Everyone still marvels at the ability of Hogan, and this book details everything he did and how you can implement it in your game. And coming soon in February 2024, a new book, no title yet, still working on that, but it's going to be a different format to the others. It's going to be simple and it's going to be knowledgeable. So get yours soon. And good luck in playing better game. You mentioned this right at the start, you know, and I'll make this clear for people listening that you and I really don't talk much, do we? Like I don't, you don't, I don't talk to you about what I do with Brandon. You don't talk to me about what you do with Brandon. And we don't sort of, it's kind of, we're staying in our own box. I'm doing my thing. You're doing your thing. Yeah. So, but you, sort of touched on this that you realized some of the keys that Brandon uh, used or focused on or felt was a better word when he was playing well and you've tried to instill them into his preparation of the shot so can you run through now I'm sure you remember what he focused on I did hear him mention it on a podcast recently but it's very different because you know I've been involved with a few sports psychologists over the years of teaching people and and they're very, you know, just just breathe and relax and, you know, calm down and all. And I'm thinking, I don't know if that's really possible. I mean, it's a great motive, but I think yeah. it's really hard. Like Jack Nicholas did it good, but, you know, there is no, you can't be calm when hitting a shot. There's there's pressure involved. There's the club moving. There's foot pressure. There's all these different things that it's hard to stay soft and relaxed. So what yeah. I tried to teach Brendan was, Hey, there's going to be pressure on your game. There's going to be pressure in your mind. So let's learn to deal with that with your golf swing and 
your body and the way you feel and you've managed to tap into that form. Can you run through some of that? Yeah, you know, um, absolutely. And, you know, th this is probably one of the things that we have talked that talked about at length. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely a team effort, like you said, and you know, guys on tour have teams around them and, you know, uh, we're all kind of connected in our own own different ways. And like you said, you know, ultimately we are staying in our own lane, but from time to time we'll, we'll, we'll collaborate. And, you know, um, but, you know, our work with Brendan has just matched so well, I think, because like you said, you, you gave him those, those swing cues that, that he was able to train. And, uh, you know, I helped him kind of, you know, um, d d deal with some of the early fear um, still kind of the, the scar tissue and uh, you know we've just kind of more or less uh, worked our processes you know over the past five years in a variety of environments um, but yeah you know um, um, it's just uh, the uh, <laughs> Brad it must be Christmas because I lost my Train of thought again. <laughs> I was talking about Brent, Brendan's key thoughts that you've sort of honed in on, like when when the pressure hits the yeah, most. Oh, oh, the, the, the pressures, the pressures. So, yeah. so you know, you and I talked about is you know the golf swing needs tension, right? It, it relies. You know, we're 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 not just lint noodles up there. So, actually, welcome the tension, but realize that you know if we have too much tension you know, we can't just will it away and we can't just think it away. A lot of times when we try to think it away or breathe it away, it gets worse, right? Because what we're dealing with is, is time related, time sensitive environments like breathing and meditation and all that stuff has its role, but under the gun in a very time sensitive environment, it's very hard to breathe yourself to a better state. Um, now, you know, they, you know, breathing definitely has a role but attention i think has a greater role because where our attention goes uh kind of determines you know the 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 quality of our state right and so um you know you and i've talked about you know getting to places indirectly so so you know we talked about squeezing our feet and realizing that okay if i've got unwanted tension in a certain part of my body we'll put intentional tension in another part and more times than not that that, that gets us to a better place shift it to somewhere that's not gonna hurt you as much yeah yeah and, and at the same time it helps because it does uh, it does kind of uh optimize the, the the other tension levels so yeah i mean that's um something you know i call them kind of automatics in our process think think about things that that <clears throat> that you can do automatically regardless of the circumstances or regardless of the pressure of the moment and more or less those things kind of revolve around three things we can control some of our our thinking some of our attention and some of our voluntary movements and so squeezing our feet you know either before a shot or during our shot or you know making different grip pressures the, those are automatic like if we intend to do them we're going to be able to do them 100 percent of the time regardless of the pressure of the moment. And so that, that, that those are great cues to, you know, um, for the brain to kind of latch onto and say, okay, okay, I'm feeling pressure here, but I'm doing something automatically. And, you know, and so, so, so I, I use a lot of those w w w with my players, you know, 
put put a ton of that into your process because that's going to ultimately be you know something that that the brain not only craves but it can really latch onto and and uh you can use to perform under pressure so we've talked a little you know a lot about yeah most people think oh they're just crapping on about brandon and it's a high level player so for the average Joe, obviously, some of the things we've already talked about is going to be very beneficial to them. But for the average golfer, how do you prepare? Is it, you know, obviously you mentioned you can do stuff at home. So what would you do at home to prepare for the state of mind or the scene that you want to permit to happen when you're playing golf? Sure. Uh, You know, I mean, obviously, ultimately, people come to both of us because they want to play better golf. Right. And we both kind of have our ways of, you know, helping them figure different things out. You know, golf is a game of figuring things out. But, you know, I like I like to really encourage my players to be very scenario based. Like, okay, like what are the specific challenges that that are you're facing and what's more or less kind of the, the, the lower hanging fruit? So, um, you know, if, if we know you're struggling around the greens, well, you know, what's the situation? Is it a straightforward pitch? Is it a more difficult pitch? Um, you know, is it a certain type of tee shot with, you know, a certain type of uh, layout on the hole? Is it holes that have double trouble? Is it holes that, you know, um, you know, is it certain winds or something like that? So, you know, if we can kind of, you know, um, more or less, you know, keep up with that stuff, then we're able to take it into our practice and, you know, do some competitive games, you know, that are very scenario based. Um, That's more, um, that's more your homework. Like you, you're clarifying what situations you have the most trouble with. So you know how to, what to attack in your practice, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are kind of, you know, off the course kind of habits or processes that we go through, you know, journaling, that's kind of a purpose of journaling is to kind of keep up with what we're experiencing and not really put it all on our mental powers, right. To, to remember, right. When we write something down, we kind of make it objective. And that's why, you know, um, you know, if we keep a little running log of what we're doing about our game, we can easily kind of uh, go back to it without the burden of having to remember it. Right. And so, uh, you know, those types of things, you know, I I talk a lot about problem solving visualization, you know, a lot of times in golf, you know, we're taught to visualize our best, right. And visualize the ultimate round. And that that has a role, right. But golf is so problem solving that we need to kind of like more or less start with ourselves in a predicament or with unwanted thoughts or feelings or tensions or unwanted visuals. And then more or less, uh, visualize ourselves, you know, working to a better place, like visualize ourselves, you know, um, managing our focus, dealing with distraction. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of got a lot of this from like Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps talked about how he did, he spent most of his visualization time kind of in the negative. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really see that as relating to golf. You know, I had one college players told me that, you know, I've always been told to visualize, but I visualize my perfect rounds, and within three holes, something's gone wrong, and I kind of throw out visualization, right? And so I say, you know, try this negative visualization, see yourself solving problems, to see yourself dealing with unwanted thoughts and feelings, see yourself moving your attention to, to your swing cues and executing under pressure. That That's 
I think more times than not that that that's a little more relevant to the golf environment. Yeah, I like that. So, um, you know, sometimes you can't get a picture of a hole. And I always tell my players that I work with, look, nothing's perfect. Your swing's not going to be perfect. Every shot's not going to be perfect. You're not going to line up perfect. You're not going to do anything perfect. And there's always going to be a fear of a shot. Not all, not, maybe not always, but except that a fear comes in. Like if you stand on a hole and there's water up the left and it worries you, I say, don't try and pretend it's not there. Just acknowledge it and work out a way to avoid it. You know, will I hit it at it and fade it off it? Will I draw it to the other side? Will I hit a three wood? Like just all different things like that. Because you you just, like you said, you can't, you, there's got to be some negativity that you can turn into a positive. I remember staying on the 14th tee at the Australian Masters in 1993. I'm having a good round, sort of getting up near the lead. I'm in second place. And the 14th hole is a long par five. And there's the only piece of water in the whole property is in front of this tee. It's a little, you know, 80 yard pond or lake right in front of the tee. And I stood over that shot and I remember it because one of my friends asked me later on, he goes, what, had, what, what were you thinking on that 14th hole? And I said, I was thinking I'm going to cold top this into the water. And he goes, no. And I said, of course. I said, I just had a negative thought. I didn't do it, but it was in my head. And I just sort of maybe just said to myself, come on, you're better than that. But it, you can't clear everything out, can you? No, you certainly can't, you know, and I call that, you know, I said, think about, I call, I use the term feedback a lot to basically represent a, an essential certain moment that we're going to have. And basically I said, just think about the thoughts and feelings that the game feeds you. Every time you go into the competitive arena, you can more or less guarantee it's going to feed you certain thoughts, right. And feelings. And, you know, before we hit the shot, all those are just kind of in the arena of potentials, right. What can potentially happen. And like you said, you stood on that tee and you involuntarily had a had a thought of what potentially could happen. Like you potentially could top it, right? You, we've all seen pros top it, shank it, uh, you know, hit bad shots under pressure. I mean, it, it is a potential. Like when you stand on 17 at Sawgrass, you can potentially, like Brennan almost did, hit the other eye. <laughs> right. Because he was, you know, in between, you know, plans, you know, uh, and tendencies for that day. Right. And so the, 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 the point is to become aware of that. Yes, it can potentially happen, but just because it can potentially happen, you can also remind yourself of what else can potentially happen. I can potentially stripe it down the middle of the fairway. Right. And make another birdie and win the Australian Open. Right. And so, again, it comes back to just the more aware we are, the more we're in a better position to move our attention well in that moment. But like you said, if we put all the effort into keeping that from happening or, or freaking out over what can potentially happen in a negative way, you know, I, I say as, as competitors, you have to peacefully coexist with your negative potential, right? Because it's always with you. Right. right. Even even if you're Tiger Woods, you still had the potential to hit poor shots. You know, even if you're the number one in the world, you can potentially still miss an eight footer under pressure, you know, to to take the lead or to to win a golf tournament. So golf golf is a game of potential potentials and it's a game of, you know, um of creating actuals as well. So So is pressure something we put on ourselves because no one else can 
tell you what the situation is. It's all it's all inward, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I think I think that the, the whole notion that pressure is kind of the story that we tell ourselves. I think that's a big piece of it. I don't think it's the only piece because obviously, you know, we're you know how how we feel and the tension levels in our body that they do matter, right? Um, and a, a lot of that is kind of somewhat out of our control initially. Of course, our response to it is more so in our control. But um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just m- managing um, um, those certain experiences that we're going to have and being ready to to apply our strategies. You know, and that's that's where you know training it's not just it's not just you know having a process alone is not going to solve it right i mean brendan always had a process right he talks about this but you know he um you know when when he started working with us you know we we developed kind of the 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 steps of that new process right this is what i'm gonna if this happens this is what i'm gonna do you know or this is it's going to be my intention to go in and swing, you know, this way, create this field during my shot. So we we not only develop the cues, but we develop the the, the training um, to you use those cues and and you know build that up. That leads us into my last question, um, and I've heard Brandon talk about it, and then you talk about it. I don't know the exact quantity or the exact order, but you put him in some different states. There's a preparation state. There's an execution state. There's a result-based fa- uh, goal. You know, you, you're learning all these things. So can you run through? I, I nearly got that right. Probably not all of it. Yeah, but you there's, know, there's I say basically. Four, is there four scenarios you have? Yeah, it's basically what I call four four certain performance moments that we have to navigate as golf. Yeah, moments, right. Um, I call them certain because it's kind of against the backdrop of uncertainty, right? If we were to know we were going to play play a competitive round this afternoon, you know, we can think about the things that we can never predict with 100% certainty about our future experience, you know. Um, but we can organize around certainties. And the, those basically those four certain performance moments, I break them down into we know that we're going to plan golf shots. You know, e- even if you think you don't plan, you're basically – just have a poor plan, plan, right? But every golf shot has to have some type of intention, right? Some type of plan, you know? And uh, so we can we can strategize around that. Uh, secondly, you know, golf is not just decision-making. It's not just those who are picking the best targets are going to win every tournament, right? We have to execute on every decision that we're, we're making. So I call that basically the playing moment. And I, I like to tell players, think about it like on a time scale. Like when you're over the ball, there's a certain, there's a second where your planning moment ends. And that's basically when your decision's made. And from that second on, you're more or less responding to your plan. And I call that kind of the totality of the playing moment. That starts at the end of your, your, uh, your playing moment starts at the end of your planning moment. And it finishes basically when you um, initiate your golf swing. And th- th- then after that, the, we have what I call, a post-shot feedback moment. And that's basically a thought or feeling about an actual outcome. Um, And so there's a lot that goes into, you know, processing what just happened, right? 
Um, you know, if it's a if it's a negative experience, well, then how are we going to neutralize it? How are we going to take something positive from it? If it's a positive experience, well, then our our brain kind of stores positive experiences uh, less stronger than negative experience. So we need to kind of maybe have that that inner fist pump or that you know um, you know Tiger had these elaborate celebrations, and I actually believe that his dad. His dad knew the importance of searing things into your memory. So I think a lot of the over top stuff was kind of strategic, more or less. You yeah. Know? So you got to pat yourself on the back sometimes, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Or basically because things aren't going to go perfect, right? And you may you may have said like, "Man, I started at a, a an eight discomfort level on that shot, but but I knocked it down a bit and I pulled the trigger and I I hit a good enough shot, right? It's not a great shot, but man, you know, that you got several things to give yourself some inner fist pumps on. And then the fourth moment is probably my most unique kind of twist on the mental game, but I call it the pre-shot feedback moment. Because whereas in the post-shot, we're dealing with um, thoughts and feelings about actual outcomes. In the pre-shot feedback moment, we're dealing with thoughts and feelings about what can potentially happen when we go to initiate the movement right and so basically what i just said is like you know and with bt it was all about kind of redefining his relationship with that with that performance moment how do we manage our attention you know when we do have thoughts and feelings about what can potentially happen and so and and like i said you know outside of just the complete zone experience where we're just so locked in, you know, that there's no real true experience of distraction. We're always kind of dealing, d- dealing with potential distraction at, at one to one degree or, or another. But, um, you know, it's a moment that we can strategize around. It's a, it's a moment that we can practice around. And it's a moment that if we really get on top of and, and develop our, our relationship with it and we don't freak out about it, but almost welcome it, you know, as, as being one of the, you know, being at the top level, you know, as a player and a coach like yourself, you know, you, you had plenty of moments where you use pressure to help you rather than hurt you to make your concentration deeper. And so, and, and that's what they do. It's almost like bring it on because that's even, that's going to take me deeper into my process, deeper into my focus, deeper into connecting with my positive ability. So, um, yeah, and that's so. The, the, those are the four kind of certain performance moments. So, if you hear, you know, a lot of players and commentators, they talk about the zone. So, the zone is probably just—it's not really any different to any other pattern. It's less negative, more positive. You're in, you know, you you just do things better, and it feels like it's easier. Correct. Yeah, you know, I think there are defining characteristics to when when we're in a flow um, experience, and and you know, the one I draw on the most, it's 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 not a blacking out. A lot of people describe it like that as kind of like a more or less a lack of consciousness, <laughs> but it what it is, it's it's more a lack of self consciousness. Like it's 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 total task consciousness. Like where where we kind of we're one with the task. We're not really thinking about the past. We're not thinking about the future. We are just we're just driving the car in the moment, right? Yeah. We're not we're not. It's, it's kind of like you know me today. I'm not thinking about what I had to do today or the Christmas shopping I got to finish up. I'm just talking to you. So I've had a couple moments where I haven't been completely in the flow experience, right? 
But uh, yeah, so so he's, he's in golf. Okay, what are those tasks? You know, like from your teaching with Brendan, the task was to you know do the drills right and to create the feelings during the drills and you know i can't tell you how many times i've been watching brendan and you know maybe he's hit a couple looser shots and i'll see him out the side of the the tee doing a drill right and that you won't see that on every tee shot but that that's his cue to getting locked back in and and hitting a good one here Right, you, you, uh, that you, cracks you. me up when he does that because I'm standing in the gallery and people are going, "What the hell is he doing?" And I'm just sort of internally laughing because I know exactly what he's doing. He's just yeah. preparing yeah. for the next shot and getting his feel back, so he knows it's going to yeah. happen better. And it's just it's swing cues, right? Right. Whether it's Jordan making this real exaggerated over the top movement, that's that's what he's doing to create comfort, right? To in his process. Um, and you know, g- golf allows us a lot of different ways to figure things out. So, so have you got anything else to add? I know you had a few notes. Is there anything we've touched on that you, we haven't touched on that you wanted to mention? You know, I just, you know, I think you and I, you know, have just been a part of just an incredible journey. You know, I mean, you know, Hank Haney, no love him or hate him, you know, he said that great, he compared the Brendan Todd. He said it was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, comeback story in, in the history of the PGA well, Tour. Let me tell you something. That's, and uh, he he put it he put it up there with Tigers comeback, you know, and for me, and you know, I know that that I had my kind of we're back moment, you know, we're 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 gonna this is actually gonna happen moment, and but you know, I I I'd be curious to get yours, Brad. Like, did you? have a moment along the way where where you're like this guy's going to get back to the PJ tour. He was 2045 in the world and you know that 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 2019 season of 11 or 12 events um you, you know I I I had that one defining moment in in in, in my mind and Brendan actually laughs at me but uh but but I have mine I'll, I'll share it with you you know it was the it was the 2019 John Deere, and uh, Brendan was 2045 in the world. He literally was playing on past champion status, which at that point meant maybe two two guaranteed starts. And you know, we start piecing things back together, and you know, he 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 shoots a uh, 63 in the Monday qualifier a week after Q school that where he didn't get through to 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 qualify for the first event of the year at Sea Island, and you know, he he makes his first cut in, you know, 50-something events, um, you know. And th- then he actually – he plays five events in a row, makes four out of five cuts, you know, with a 25th and an 18th. And he had got, gotten a position where he was 197 on the FedEx Cup, cup points list. And the top 200 made it into the Corn Ferry Finals, which offered a route back to the Tour, Right. So in my mind, in our minds, all of our minds, it's evolving like that's going to probably be his path back to the tour if it happens. And he literally had two guaranteed starts at this point at when he came to the John Deere. He was 197. So there's a lot of pressure ahead of us, right? And when, when he shot on the weekend, he shot 67 on Saturday, and then he shot 67 on Sunday to more or less solidify his place in the playoffs. I literally cried like a baby, 
and Brendan still laughs at me at this point, but that that was the moment to me when I said, holy shit, this guy is going to get back to the PJ Tour. And, you know, our belief in him never wavered. You know, we always knew he was elite. You know, um, he was special, you know. But, you know, in terms of, like, is everything going to work out to actually get back there? You know, that's, you know, golf has a lot of uncertainty, right? But but the second that, that he more or less solidified, it doesn't really matter what he does the rest of the year, he's going he's gonna to have four starts to go out there and compete to win golf tournaments and get his card back. And it, it happened in the, the, the second event of the playoffs. You know, he finished his second and bam, he's back on tour, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he, he go on to, you know, uh, have a career year the next year. And, you know, it was just, you know, another level of good, right. And Brendan tells a story during his slump, you know, he says what was really hard about it is the 16 year old Brendan could have, beaten the current Brendan you know but the, the the Brendan that emerged from having gone through the, these dark times the 16 year old Brendan would never have a chance again against that Brendan right? right and it's just been you know five years of just great competitive play and this last season to finish in the top 50 you know to solidify a place you know um and all the signature signature events you know coming up you know, it's it's been it's been a really special thing to be a part of. So my uh, moment. Actually, I'm going to touch on that Hank Haney thing first because this is job with him. in it's, the back of my uh, subconscious mind too at the moment. Guy, uh, in that same interview that Hank Haney did, um, and he said it was a great story. He nominated that I should have been coach of the year, and now I can't even make the top twenty-five or fifty or hundred in them in America or fifteen in my state. So there's my bitch mode right there. But anyway, going back to when I kind of felt or knew. And it, it was it was an earlier moment than that. It was in April of 2019. And we were out practicing and we just came across this idea where he's, you know, we talked about his tension levels and I gave him the mantra of, all right, let's put all the pressures somewhere different. Let's go seven in your feet, four in your hands, one and two in your arms. And he started really striping it on the range. And he goes, that feels so much better. He goes, one it feels better. Two, I'm hitting it better. And three, I know I can do that all the time. It's like a little checklist that I can run through. So we did our practice. We went and had lunch and we're sitting there having lunch in some bar in Athens, uh, soccer bar. I think there's a soccer game on. We're having a burger at the bar there, eating away and just not saying much, just eating. And he turned to me and he had this look in his eye and he just said, you know, I'm going to win again. And I looked down and went, I have no doubt. Like I can just tell that there's something going on here that you know you've touched on something, and if you want it bad enough, you're going to do it. And of course, that's that's what ended up happening. So mine was not a specific tournament or anything. It was actually sitting in a bar with him having lunch, and he flat out told me not just saying it on a whim, but he actually you could tell that he was serious and meant it. So that was my moment. Yeah. Uh- thousand percent it's just uh it's been a it's been a wild and in, in, in incredible ride and you know i've just been you know blessed to be you know a small part of it but it's been great so how can everyone find your you ward what's your website or your contact level and how do you go about trying to help people get better at the 
the mental side. They say golf, uh, what do they say? The 10% of golf's 90% mental or something. I can't remember, but one of those yeah. funny quotes. Well, I, I think it's 100-100, Brad. You know, I think <laughs> the mind is always involved in, in the process of getting better and uh, and uh, managing the golf experience. But, uh, yeah, my, my website is wardjarvis.com. Uh, it's got my contact information I'm on uh, X or Twitter at uh, and uh, Instagram at wjarviscoaching. You know, feel free to uh, reach out to, to me through – through those avenues. All right, mate. Appreciate it. Been good to catch up again. Looking forward to next season and see where it all takes us again. Absolutely, Brad. It's been great to be with you. Thanks, mate. Well, that's it for another episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. For more information about my golf instruction, check out my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com. If you like to watch golf videos to make you a better player, Sign up for my members-only site, bradleyhughesgolf-members.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.